continue with some more chanting and this will be uh, an optional call and response chanting meaning that after I sing a line you're welcome to respond and repeat the same line that I just sang if you'd prefer to just sit and meditate without singing that's fine also and if you do sing you don't have to worry about if you're pronouncing anything properly it doesn't really matter the, the main benefit that you receive is actually just from taking the vibration of the chant into your heart remembering what I explained last week that you reside within your body you your true self the soul resides within your body in your heart area so bringing your attention into your heart feel the connection feel your from deep within your desire to know something divine your desire to receive a divine happiness this chanting that we'll be doing sprouts the seed of divine bliss that lies in the heart of every soul so all you have to do is open yourself to receive the chanting Chanting Gopal, Radhe Krishna, Govinda, Govinda. These are all names of God. Gopal, Govinda, Radhe Krishna.
finding peace in a chaotic world and I explained to you that the world is actually of two types there's the outer world that surrounds us and then there's the inner world which is our own inner world of thoughts and feelings
and that if we want true stability, then we have to connect to something inside that gives us peace and contentment and not look for that from the outer world because the outer world has a nature to always keep changing, to never be perfect. So if we're hoping for stability and we're looking to the outer world to find it, we're bound to be uh, disappointed and uh, experience constant disruptions in our life. Whereas if we find something inside that's stable and constant, then it doesn't matter what happens in the outer world. Our inner world remains calm. It's getting hot in here, actually, Laura. I just turned the heat off. Okay. You want some AC on? Yeah. Not AC. Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe just open, we can open the, the, the door, door over yeah. there. Yeah. So this week we're going to talk more about that thing that we're looking for, that we need to get that's going to make us feel whole and complete. So the question is, what is that that we really want? What is, what is the ultimate thing that we all want that could make us all content forever? And when we start talking about what we want, it seems like a huge topic because People want so many different things. If we took a poll, just asking people, what do you want? We would find, you know, we would probably not find enough paper in the city of Los Angeles to write down all the things that people want. Even in one person's mind, there are always so many different desires at any one time. And, and those desires keep changing. You know, one minute we want one thing. The next minute we want the next. One minute we want to be alone. We don't want to talk to anybody. A few minutes later we start feeling like, no, I think I've had enough alone time. I'd like to talk to a friend now. I'm calling up our friends. We're going to spend time with them. One minute we feel like watching TV. The next moment the TV is boring us. We look for something else to do. One minute we think, oh no, I'll eat something. That will make me feel good. <laughs> we just keep looking and changing. So it seems like we have so many desires. But actually all of those desires can be traced back to a common point. Every single desire comes back to the same point, just like spokes on a wheel emanating from a central point. So what is that original thing that we all want? We can just trace it back. Let's say, take the example of food. Why did someone decide, mm, I'm feeling bored, maybe I'll eat something. Why do they want to eat something? Because they think that by eating something that tastes good, they'll get something out of that. They're not thinking of calories. They weren't hungry, they were just bored. Why did they decide to eat? For happiness. So simple. They thought that by eating they'd get some kind of pleasurable sensation in their mouth and that would make them feel happy. Why does someone want to watch TV? Same reason. Thinks that by watching a television program, they'll feel happy. This applies to anything. Why do we want love? Why do we want another person to love us? Because we think that will make us happy. 
Why do we want money? Why do we want success? Everything that we desire, you can say that those desires aren't real desires. Those desires are created by our mind in an effort to satisfy our original desire, our true desire, the desire for happiness. So do we really want money? No. If we could be happy without money, then we wouldn't want money. We want money because we think money brings happiness. Or we know that at least we need enough money to you know, put some food in our belly. That, that's another issue altogether. But as far as looking towards money for happiness, something that's going to bring us pleasure, if, money, if we didn't believe that money would bring us pleasure, we wouldn't care as long as we had enough money just to fill our belly every day. We wouldn't care beyond that. That Do I even have a single dollar in the bank? It wouldn't matter to us. But because we want happiness and we have a, an idea that if I get more money in the bank, I can use it to do this, I can use it to do that, and those things will bring me happiness, or I can buy this thing but the ultimate desire is not for money, it's for happiness. You can say the same thing for any relationship that we enter into with any person. We don't have relationships just for the sake of having a relationship, whether it's a friend or a spouse or your children. We didn't decide to have these relationships just for the sake of having it. No, we actually, it was a... If not a deliberate process, perhaps it was a sub subconscious process, but the process went on in our mind where we thought, this, doing this, will bring me happiness, or at least we had that hope. So we decided, this is how we make every decision to do anything in this world. Even things we don't want to do, why do we do them? Because we think that if we don't do them, will experience less happiness or even unhappiness. For instance, going to work. Maybe you have a job that is just work. It's not that enjoyable, but you have to do it. Why do you do it? Because if I don't go to work, I won't make money and I won't get food. I won't be able to get the things I need or the things I want. It all revolves around happiness. The Bhagavatam says, Sukhaya dukha mokchaya sankalpahi karmina. This verse says there's two reasons for everything we do. Sukhaya dukha mokchaya. Sukh means happiness, and dukh means unhappiness. Mokchaya means freedom from that mm. dukh and the attainment of sukh. That's what we want. This verse says we want those two things. We want happiness and we want to avoid or be free from unhappiness or pain. But we can even reduce these two to one. Because if you have happiness, it means you're not experiencing pain or displeasure at that time. It, it's understood. You can't be both happy and unhappy at the same time. 
So it's redundant to say, I want happiness and I don't want pain. Just like it would be redundant to say, I want to be healthy and I want to be disease free. So you don't even have to say, I don't want unhappiness. You just say, I want happiness. And that covers the whole thing. So we all want happiness. The question is, what kind of happiness do we need? To understand what kind of happiness we need that could actually satisfy us forever, we need to know who we are first. Because that happiness has to be related to who we are. Understand it like this. We are not our body. We are not our senses. We are not our mind. Because I say my body, my senses, my mind. So what is mine cannot be me. Simple logic. If it's my body, then my body is not me. Just like my car. You say my car. I drove here in my car. So you don't get confused thinking that I drove here in me. No. You know you are not your car. You ride inside your car. So you are not your body. You are not your senses. Meaning your uh, not, I don't mean your eyes, but your sense, your ability to see, that subtle sense of sight that functions through the physical eyes, the sense of hearing, sense of taste, smell, and touch. Those are all your senses, so they cannot be you. And even your mind is not you. This is where it gets a little abstract, because, you know, the body is something that we can see definitely. You know, when someone uh, when someone dies, we see that the body is left behind. If someone has died and before the funeral at the wake, there's a viewing, so you knew the person or you were a family acquaintance and you went to uh, you went to the wake. So, who are you going to see at the wake? Are you going to see that person? Your let's say your friend John. I don't know, I'm not going to see John. I'm going to see John's body. I'm going to see his body one last time. Well, where did John go? I don't know where he went, but he's not in his body anymore, I can tell you that, because his body is not alive. If John were there in his body, then his body would not be lying there dead. So that's more concrete. We can grasp that, that I am not the body. But when we say, I am not the mind, that's much more abstract because we think and feel with our mind. And that's generally what we associate our identity with, is our feelings and our thinking. But in fact, our true self is even beyond the mind. The mind is yet another tool that we use, just like this body is a vehicle for us. Well, our mind is a, a tool we use to think and feel with. But our true self is even deeper than the mind. So the true self is said in Sanskrit to be Atma, the soul. 
The soul is beyond the body, although it resides within it. It's beyond the senses, which is why it can't be perceived by any sense or any scientific instrument, can't be perceived or measured, can't be seen, can't be touched, can't be heard. So it's beyond our body, beyond our senses, and beyond our mind, which means, in fact, our mind cannot understand what I is. I meaning the soul. With your mind, you can't understand who you are. It's almost like an, a contradiction, yet it's a fact. Because the soul is divine, and the mind is just the material energy which the soul uses. It's with the mind and soul are together, but mind is one thing. It's a material energy, and the soul is the real you. So soul has these two main possessions the mind and the body. But you means the soul. So there's a few descriptions in our Sanskrit scriptures that you might find interesting. Like Shweta Shvatar Upanishad says, Naivastri Napumaneshu. The soul is neither feminine nor masculine. Souls are, are not gender specific. A soul could be born in any body. So you could be born as a man one life and a woman the next, and vice versa. Nainam chindanti shastrani nainam dahati pavaka Nachainam kledayantyapo nasho shayati maruta The Gita says the soul can't be cut with any weapon. The soul can't be burnt by any fire or explosion or anything. The soul can't be made wet by any water and the soul can't be dried out by the wind. Because these are all material things and the soul is actually beyond material energy. Ajo nit this is also from the Gita. It says that the soul is not killed by physical death. Meaning when your physical body dies, your soul doesn't die. Your soul can never die. It was never born and it will never die. Each individual soul has existed since eternity. Also from the Gita. The soul merely moves on and takes another body. Just like you change clothes when you get tired of the ones you're wearing, your soul just takes another body. This body is just like the outer garment of the soul. So the soul never dies, and that is your true self. So, soul is not the body, 
because soul resides within the body and soul is not the mind. You can understand this through one thing that we do every day, which is sleep. When you sleep, first you dream, so at that time your mind is active. But then there comes a point when we enter into deep, dreamless sleep. In other words, our mind just becomes quiet. There's no activity of the mind at that time. At that time, we actually have no awareness of our own existence. Like a person in a coma. The person is still alive, but when their mind is inactive, they're not aware of what's going on. They're not aware of their own existence. They're not aware of anything. Because the mind is dormant. But when we wake up, the continuity is maintained. When you wake up, you feel that I am the same as I was before I went to sleep. It's the same me. The same me who fell asleep is the same me who just woke up. Even though there is an interval where I wasn't aware of myself. So you can infer from this that you are not your mind. Because your mind was dormant at that time, yet you still existed. So you means your soul. So all of this means that the soul is a, a very subtle energy, which is beyond all mayic, all material energies. Beyond the body, beyond the senses, and beyond the mind. So it means that if that is our true identity, as the soul, as Atma, then we need a happiness that relates to our soul, not a happiness that is only for our body or senses or mind. If it's limited, if, if the reach of that happiness is only up to the body or senses or mind and it doesn't reach the soul, then it won't bring us perfect happiness. With this knowledge now, we can explain something which has confounded us for our whole life, confused us. Even if we never verbalized this question, we all carry it in our subconscious mind, or in the back of our mind. Why is it that even when I'm enjoying something, I still feel dissatisfied? Even you think back, to the best things that you've enjoyed in this world. Or when you leave here, go out and enjoy the best thing you want to enjoy. And at the moment of enjoyment, ask yourself, am I completely happy? Ha I'm happy, yes. But am I totally happy? Am I completely satisfied? Do I need anything more? The answer will be, no, I'm not satisfied. Yes, I need something more. So it means even while we're enjoying, we're still dissatisfied. And you, you have the knowledge to understand why this happens now. It's because who is enjoying? The mind is enjoying through the senses, through enjoying the objects of the senses, using your body and senses, the mind is enjoying eating something, smelling something, hearing something, seeing something beautiful, 
receiving a loving touch, all of those things that we experience through our five senses, they create an excitement in the mind or they excite the pleasure centers in the mind. Scientists know that much, but they don't know this. That why is it that even when someone is receiving that excitement, they still feel dissatisfied? Mm -hmm. Because your true self is deeper than the mind. Your true self is the soul. And since these objects of the senses and the, the excitement in the neurons of your mind, none of that can reach to your soul. Your soul is a divine entity, actually. Whereas the objects of the world, your senses, your body, and your mind are all material things. They're all made of the mayic energy, the material energy. So nothing material can reach your soul. Like we were saying, the soul can't be cut by anything, burned, made wet, dried out. It's beyond all material energy. So then how could any worldly pleasure satisfy our divine soul? It's illogical. It would be like if, uh, if I told you, hey, have a look at this, and you took it and you put it to your ear. <laughs> say, what are you doing? Why are you look, trying to see with your ear? You see with your eyes and hear with your ears. Something like that, your soul needs a divine happiness. It's of one type. And we're trying to satisfy it by giving all material different kinds of happiness. It's like trying to see with your ears. It doesn't make any sense at all. We need a divine happiness to make our soul divine or our self divine. To make ourself perfectly happy is what I'm trying to say. We need a, a divine happiness. So is there any divine happiness in this world? This can also be decided very quickly because the these Sanskrit scriptures give us a definition of divine happiness. Chando Gyopanishad says, Yo vai bhuma tat sukham. So simple. Three conditions of divine happiness. Divine happiness is unlimited in amount. Meaning like that much happiness. So much. <laughs> unlimited. Number one. Number two, it lasts forever. Meaning that once you get it, you are happy forever, never to experience unhappiness ever again. And number three, as you go on enjoying it forever, you never get bored of it because it is ever increasing. Every moment it goes on multiplying. It's ever new, ever fresh. These are the three conditions of divine happiness. So now ask yourself, in all of your years, in all of the exploring you've done in this world, and I don't just mean traveling, by exploring I mean all the experimenting we've done. Will this give me happiness? Will that give me happiness? Will, that, will this person make me happy? We've traveled around the world, at least mentally, looking for happiness. Have we ever found such a happiness that satisfied even one, let alone three, of these conditions? And your own experience tells you no. There is happiness in this world, but it doesn't fit that description. It's never of unlimited amount. It never lasts forever. And even while I'm enjoying it, instead of multiplying, in fact, the opposite happens. It decreases. 
let's say there's somebody that you love very much. And when you look at their face, their beautiful face, you feel happy. So, number one, is the happiness you experience unlimited? No, it's not. It's a lot, but it's not unlimited. It's not infinite. Number two, does it last forever? So you might say, well, if I could keep looking at them, it would last forever. Okay, let's try an experiment. <laughs> Sit across from this person that you love so much and stare into their beautiful face non-stop. What if, you know, we put some kind of restraint on you so that you could only look straight ahead and you had to keep looking at this person for two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, eventually you wouldn't even perceive their beauty anymore. You would start perceiving their faults. Oh, their nose is kind of crooked. I never noticed that their eyes are not exactly symmetrical. Oh, look at that blemish on their skin. We start, in other words, the more we look at that thing, the more the, the happiness we were experiencing, it just starts dissipating. Eventually, you really want to change. Even if you're looking at the most beloved, most beautiful person, eventually you want to change. So it means the happiness disappeared. It decreased and then it vanished totally. This is the same with everything. It's the same with food. What food can you eat and go on eating? Nothing. No matter how much you enjoy it, the first bite is the best. Then it goes on decreasing until eventually you stop eating that thing. Because if you keep eating it, just like you keep staring at the same person's face, you get tired of it. You keep eating the same thing, you'll get tired of that. You'll get sick of it. You want to change. You want to stop eating that thing. So this is the nature of worldly happiness. It's, uh, it's utterly confusing because you, you enjoy the thing and the same thing you enjoy for some reason becomes boring to you. So this is because we're not giving happiness to our soul by enjoying all of these things. We're just giving excitement to our mind. So even at the height of our enjoyment, the first bite, the first moment when you've been separated from your loved one and you're reunited and you embrace them and you feel so happy, even at the height of your enjoyment, your soul is still not satisfied. Your soul is still saying, I need more, I need something more. And mind is feeling, what more? <laughs> Tell me what? But that's the thing, that the communication between the soul and the mind is in a... In, in a very general way, meaning that from deep inside, our soul is emanating that desire for divine happiness. And the mind receives that emanation and gets the feeling, that's where the feeling comes from, I need something to make me happy. Why do we desire happiness? Because that, that desire is coming from the soul. But then the mind doesn't know exactly how to interpret it, like, what is the kind of happiness that could make me satisfied forever? Where is that happiness? Mind doesn't know those things. All it knows is, I feel restless. I need to find something to make me happy. So in fact, you can say mind is trying to make the soul happy, but it doesn't know how. So the only way to find out how is to go to someone who has found 
soul-satisfying happiness. Those people are called saints. So the saints tell us that God is divine happiness. So God is for your soul. And anyone or anything of this world can give excitement or pleasure to your mind, but it can't give satisfaction to your soul. This is what saints say. That if you want divine happiness, then you need God. Again, a simple logic. God is divine. Your soul is divine. And the scriptures also say, Anando Brahmeti Bhijanat. That God is that happiness that we were describing. Unlimited, everlasting, ever-increasing happiness is God. So if you find God, then your soul will be happy forever. And if we keep having the, the faith that we're going to find happiness from this world, then we'll keep getting more of what we have now. Exactly the same. Some happiness, never fully satisfied, some disappointments, again some happiness, but wondering why am I not fully happy? I need something more. This person, I love them very much, but why am I not fully happy? This situation will continue forever until a soul finds God. When the soul finds God, then and only then they become perfectly happy. So this is my exposition for you today on the topic of happiness. What do we really want? Well, we want happiness, but we want such a happiness that could make our soul happy. And that could only be a divine happiness. Since our soul is divine, we need divine happiness, and divine happiness is only God. So we have to attain God. So does anyone have anything they'd like to ask on this topic before we do a little more chanting? Yes. So there are infinite souls yes. in this world. And they're just reincarnating into different bodies just because our soul is looking or searching for God. Yes. Very well said. Yep. My question then is, are we really able to find God. Yes. And see, someone may wonder, but how do I know for sure? Mm. That's where intelligent faith comes in. Not blind faith. Intelligent faith. It's something like uh, setting a goal that you've not yet attained. Like Let's say someone, someone decides, I want to become president of the United States. So how does that person know what is the pleasure that he'll receive or she'll receive when they become president? They've never experienced that pleasure in this life, so how do they know? They don't know. They're setting their sights on something beyond their current experience. Something like that, God is beyond our current experience. But based on the word of others, meaning saints, those who have attained God, 
they say, I've attained God. God is perfect happiness. You can also attain God if you do this. So then at that point, a person has a choice. They can say, I don't believe you. And then the saint says, okay, <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> you know? Or they can, they can decide to say, well, I don't have any proof right now because I'm not there. But the saint is not asking me to have blind faith. The saint is saying, do this and you'll attain God. That's your proof. When you attain God, you get the proof. So it's a it is a matter of faith in the beginning that uh, we decide based on someone else, an expert, a spiritual expert, telling us it is possible and this is the path. Do it. And we say, okay, I believe you because I want that. It makes logical sense to me and I want that. So I'm going to follow this path. And luckily we don't have to wait until the very end to get even a shred of proof. You get the ultimate proof when you attain God, but along the way you get experiences that show you you're on the right path. Mm -hmm. So you do get proof along the way as well. Your own experience tells you. You don't get any physical proof, and you can't necessarily share that proof with someone else, but your own experience tells you you're on the right path. And what I meant by blind faith would be if someone tells you to believe something but never gives you an avenue to get proof. So believing in God is not blind faith if someone's telling you you can have proof when you meet God. When you attain God, you'll see with your own eyes. You'll experience for yourself. So that's not a blind faith. But if someone just says, believe it, and doesn't give you a means of, of attaining that thing and getting the proof, then that would just be blind faith. The need to be active in the world never goes away. As long as you have a physical body, you need to be active, as you were saying, in the world. Uh, everybody has to do that. So I think what you're getting at is how to integrate that spiritual consciousness into that waking, active life. Mm -hmm. And that's something that happens naturally over time. This uh, chanting meditation that I've been teaching, as it uh, sprouts that, that seed of divine love, that uh, it creates that connection, a real connection between you and God in your heart. And it, it actually... Uh, blossoms into a kind of consciousness you can call divine love consciousness it's uh, something you feel more when you're meditating more uh, acutely you can say it's like you're in it you're absorbed in it but and and in the beginning then someone stops <coughs> meditating and they enter in their normal worldly consciousness and and do what they have to but eventually those two integrate and, and the consciousness that you're in when you're meditating becomes your waking consciousness and you're able to function in the world like that. But that, ha that happens over time. It's not really something that, you, it's not a forced integration. It's something that the more you practice this, the more that fills your consciousness with that feeling of peace and, uh, and comfort, satisfaction, happiness, and it just stays there. It starts here and it kind of goes everywhere. And it stays there throughout your day. Even if you're active, even if you're busy, 
not that you know until god realization stress will always be there anger jealousy all those things are there in the mind but they become less and less and less and less souls are not are not born they've always been there right yes are souls born into this world born in the sense that we're um our soul comes from wherever our last life was and enters the womb of whoever our mother is in this life enters that that embryo growing and that becomes our body for this life so that is our birth this doesn't end this process doesn't end until we attain god and attain what does that mean attain god means um how can i put it simply it means you know god and it means you see god just like you can experience this world with your five senses you can experience god in the same way so attaining god means meeting god face to face that doesn't happen right that doesn't happen i'm assuming well that's what i was talking about before saints tell us that it does happen that uncountable souls have attained god in the past we're the ones who are left behind <laughs> yes, I'll come to you in a second. How do I attain God? So just a little question. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a very easy answer actually. Because uh the only thing preventing us from attaining God is our mind. If we could uh connect to God 100% and by connect you can think of surrender or you can think of, you know, If you just believed in God 100%, that would be like a form of surrender. So if you could surrender to God 100%, you would attain God that instant. But what prevents us from doing that is in fact the mind. The mind doesn't believe. The mind won't surrender. So it's a process of attaching the mind to God or uh, developing your connection with god or your relationship with god that feeling you have so the easiest process of doing that is the chanting that we're doing these names we're chanting are not ordinary words mm-hmm. they're actually eternal sanskrit names of god and when you chant them with an open mind that actually purifies your mind so the vibration of the chanting is coming through the our voices but not only there the it's actually going deep down right down to our soul to the depth of our bottom of our mind so it purifies all the layers of the mind just by doing this chanting wow mm-hmm. and that's not quite enough though it has to be done with a desire to attain god so this is actually a good segue into doing one last chanting meditation is that when we're doing the chanting if you do it with this in mind that i want to attain god then you can think that in your mind that god i know you're here and right now because i'm not surrendered so i can't see you i can't talk to you i can't touch you but i want to get to that point so to get to that point we have to purify our mind by doing this chanting then we'll become fully surrendered and in fact god gives a divine power which gives you divine eyes, divine ears, divine mind. Then you can know God, see God, hear God, touch God. 
then you experience ultimate bliss. So that's the process. And the only thing we have to do is chant God's names. And God has unlimited number of names. There are so many. We're chanting certain names that are, are related to a, a specific form of God, a divine love form of God called Radha Krishna. So um, we'll talk about that in more detail next week. Thank but, you. Uh, you, can, you can just think while we're doing the meditation, imagine any form of God if you want, your own form of God, just beautiful, friendly, mm -hmm. uh, any age you want, any gender you want, but God. You should have that feeling, this is God standing in front of me, the same God who gives life to all the souls in the universe. He or she is standing right in front of me, smiling at me. So, just do the chanting with that in your mind, and then receive the effect. Oh